0: Is intercepted by Sam
2: Mills. Steve oh. Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown.
3: Brian Burns to the house. This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Richwater. Throw into the end zone. Touchdown! Samuel still on
2: his feet. Inside the five to the end zone. Touchdown! What a play! And it
0: is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He it on three! One, two, three! All
2: right, another edition of The Roar on Blue Wire. Hey, it's John Ellis. Billy Marshall, we're back at you. It's been, uh, Nice uh, few days off here, kind of uh, catching our breath and and kind of analyzing what's going on with training camp. We talked to Nick Carboni last week, got his take on things. And uh, new week, uh, a lot of players are speaking out on Zoom and uh, giving us some insights. And uh, joined, as always, by Billy Marshall, my co-host. Billy, how you doing, bud?
1: I'm doing well, doing well. Just, you know, trying to make the most of what we have with the news and kind of processing any type of insights that we can get from either beat writers or the team. It's very unusual training camp.
2: Very unusual. As you mentioned, uh, There, there's definitely a, an uncertainty in the air about this season. Uh, not to be Debbie Downer, but there's a lot of questions about who will play, how long will they play, will some guys come back off this COVID list. You've already seen some guys ping pong back and forth, Gardner Minshew being one. And uh, Carolina at this point, uh, Christian Miller would be the uh, main guy uh, who has uh, hit that uh, opt-out list at this point. So uh, we'll continue to dive into that, but today we want to kind of dive into the offense here, give you guys a, a sort of a first-hand look at what to expect from a very dynamic group. Uh, of course, minus Cam Newton, there's been some changes, uh, but I want to get you to take Billy first and foremost on that quarterback position. Uh, we've talked all offseason about Cam Newton; he's been a popular topic on Twitter and around the globe. Uh, we're interested to see what he does with Bill Belichick and. Josh McDaniels, but uh, if you take a look at what Carolina's dealing with right now, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, get your first initial take on what to expect from him.
1: Yeah, obviously, I think we've already mentioned a little bit uh Teddy in a previous episodes, but let's go a little more in depth now. And I think you and I kind of see him similarly. Um, and I just want to be clear I've always been a fan of Teddy, just going back all the way when he was in college at louisville and coming out of that draft class same class as Derek carr johnny Manziel, uh garoppolo i had him as the number one quarterback i know there was a lot of chatter pre-draft as there usually is when a controversial um well i don't want to say it was controversial but i just want to say you know for some reason i guess um he got a little bit of a weird label and a lot of people kind of dissected his Hand size, you know, stuff like that. It was kind of annoying. And I kind of just came to his defense. And I was a huge fan of his when he went to Minnesota. I thought that was a perfect scenario, uh, teaming up with North Turner and, and seeing how he could kind of, um, you know, show his skill set with that team. And he obviously had some good success there until the unfortunate injury. And then he went to New Orleans in the backup role. And I thought he did a pretty admirable job last year. But I think my biggest issue now with Teddy is that we know what he is. I think if you are, you know, a third or fourth year player, then there still could be an element of upside potentially. Um, So with Teddy, I think he's, it's been what, three or four years since the injury, uh, four years. So I think we have a pretty good idea of how to judge him in this current, in this current state. And for me, I think the biggest thing is, he's still very conservative with his um when he's releasing the ball i think he takes too many opportunities to go for the safe option as opposed to the aggressive option and i know there's a familiarity with him and joe brady but i'm just not sure the upside is going to warrant much but At the same time, we did see last year what bad quarterbacking play could do for this team. So I expect him to stabilize that position and potentially even, um, you know, lead this offense to, you know, somewhere in the 12th to 13th ranking, depending on what metrics you're using to judge them. Um, So that's my opinion on Teddy. Uh, I want to know what you think
2: about him. Yeah, I think we share a lot of the same views here. Uh, To me, I I was impressed, you know, at first glance – I, I thought generically, just looking at it, okay, what what sticks out? What what can you look at with Teddy in terms of what's on film that, that really compels you to believe he could take this team on his shoulders? And I, there's not a much there. I, I'll be honest with you. You know that. There's not much that, that says, okay, he can take you on his shoulders to a different level. But what I did like is the fact that Brady, Sean Payton, those schemes do shadow each other quite a bit. And I would suspect some of the same concepts would be in play. And I did like how he played within structure. Now, is that exciting? No, it's not real exciting. It's quite honestly a little bit mundane and boring, and I get where a lot of people are a little bit turned off by that. Uh, when you have dealt with Cam Newton for almost a decade here and you see some of the superlatives and have gone through some of those games as a fan or as an observer, as a media analyst, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's quite a drop-off athletically. It's quite a drop-off from... Uh, the ability to pull the trigger on the deep ball, uh, that, that does concern me a bit. Like you said, his uh, reluctance to uh, to make the big throw. Um, I, I think he can make the throws. I don't think it's a matter of him not being able to do it. I think his, his arm strength is, is decent enough, and I think it's an upgrade from like a Kyle Allen in terms of being able to, to make those throws in a timely manner. It's not just about the arm strength, too. As you know, it's about how quickly you read it, ball placement, timing of the release all that stuff i like his footwork i like his ability to throw off platform at times uh what i question about you know there a lot of people made the judgment about cam that well he hasn't been an mvp in five years well you know teddy has not been a starter in this league for five years it's been a long time billy since we've seen a large sample size of his work and i feel like a lot of what we saw last year was not and mirrors but he was very much protected by what sean payton put in front of him uh, a lot of six, seven-man protections, good running game. Of course, Michael Thomas is an ATM machine in terms of quick slants and uh, the 11-yard routes, as we know, um, and the ability to, to sustain drives. But I think Teddy will play very much within structure. I think uh, the lack of turnovers will be at a premium here, and they'll try to build off that and get the ball in the hands of playmakers as much as they can. Um, I just, uh, I think you've mentioned this before. I don't think he can carry you uh where you need to go and I I'm curious to see how he plays out in year 1 here.
1: No, I I totally agree. Uh, like I said, I think he'll bring stability and he's I don't think either of us deny that he's an upgrade over Kyle Allen. Um and I just want to make one more point. I know a lot of people reference his wins and losses, which is certainly uh something that you probably shouldn't judge a quarterback primarily through wins and losses, but I do think it matters in some respect. Uh, but I just want to point out that in Minnesota, they had a really good talented team and Mike Zimmer, as we know is a very good coach. And obviously last year with the saints, he was around an elite team coaching staff and personnel.
2: Definitely. And, you know, Zimmer and Sean Payton have a connection too. So it's kind of funny that it's coming full circle with uh, Joe Brady, who again has some experience with, with Sean Payton there. Let's look at the backups here, you know, again, Try, try not to get too enamored with these guys because you never know how much they're going to play. If they're going to play, will they be here? But I'm intrigued by PJ Walker. We haven't talked about him at all on this podcast, Billy. A lot of fans are intrigued by him. He played in the XFL, of course. Uh, he played at Temple. He's got some experience with Robbie Anderson. What are your initial impressions on a PJ Walker?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I want to give a shout out to our guy, Whiskey Bobby, on Twitter. I know he's been clamoring for us to discuss PJ, and he's been a big PJ fan himself. I like the move. I did. This came at a time when the Panthers were not really doing too well in the offseason, in my opinion. So for them to be able to sign P.J. Walker in the second week of free agency, I believe it was, was a pretty good move. And I don't know how his stock will be as a backup or where he will go in his career, but you have to take chances on guys like him because I feel like he's not only the ideal backup, but he also presents an upside to where maybe he could be a starter down the line. I watched him plenty of times in the XFL, and he was by far one of the more, you know, explosive quarterbacks. I mean, he just his arm strength, his ability to just flick his wrist and place the ball perfectly, you know, on a rope downfield was impressive. And he also had the ability to throw in the tight windows. And I really didn't see that much out of him in college. I mean, in college, he was kind of more of a limited, um, you know, your typical mobile QB, a lot of read option, stuff like that, where he's rolling out to the right, going for his first read. So I was pretty impressed in the XFL. But again, the competition is probably equivalent to a fourth quarter preseason game. But still, I thought he showed enough to where he definitely deserves an opportunity to be a backup. And um, I don't know how it goes as far as his potential to be a starter, but I think whenever you have a mobile quarterback as your backup, it presents a lot of challenges for the opposition. So let's say Teddy gets hurt, like in Week Eight, the you know the, the opposing teams, they're, they're just going to be confused when you have a mobile QB because you don't know if he's going to run it or throw it, and you know what you don't know what he's going right. to do with his legs. So the fact that he's you know he presents so many exciting moments um, in this aspect um, really encourages me as. He becomes, you know, if he goes into a potential backup role and maybe even a starter down the line, who knows. Um, what are your kind of initial impressions of him? I know you've watched uh, a similar amount of tape from the XFL on him too.
2: Yeah, I'm really impressed with the release. Like I said, his quick release, his ability to to process information and, and his his arm is more than adequate. Um, and you're right about preparing for mobility. It's hard, man. It's yeah, Gosh, We think back to Carolina back in the John Fox days, how many years it took them to crack the Mike Vick code. I kept saying to myself, man, what a luxury that would be to have a quarterback who can give you, you know, uh, not necessarily at Vick's level, but just some mobility, a Steve McNair type of mobility, the ability to, to present another dimension that gives a defense problems. And it will be interesting to see, if Bridgewater struggles at all, which I don't anticipate he will, but if he struggles and, and P.J. comes in and has an opportunity, there's not a whole lot of tape that you know defensive coordinators have on this guy, and he could go one of two ways. It could end up very pedestrian and not very great and not work out that awesome, but he also could light the league on fire for a few weeks because you know how it is. Those first few weeks, when they don't have a lot of tape, it'll... it'll Kind of to take some time for these coordinators to catch on. He's got experience with Robbie Anderson, obviously played with Matt Rule at Temple. Um, I I like those connections, and I do think from a fan standpoint, you're right. You know, it was a timely move because this was right as Cam Newton was out the door, and it was pretty bleak in the fan base. And this kind of gave you know again, you you can't compare the two guys, but it gave the fans a little shot in the arm that hey, you know, this is an XFL guy. We recognize who it is. And uh, maybe there's some upside there, and I, I, that's some of the what I like about some of these moves. We'll talk about on defense too, specifically like an Eli Apple. Nothing but upside with some of these moves. I think you 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 limit the downside. You've got a lot of upside by giving these guys an opportunity to rejuvenate their careers here in Carolina. As we look forward to uh, year number two for Will Greer, uh, I can tell you right now, I was at camp last year. You've seen me chronicle it, and we've talked about it. It was a real struggle. He had a hard time picking up the offense. He had a really hard time, you know, making throws, uh, which is not unusual. But against a third-round pick, one that Marty Herney uh, held in very high regard, as we've talked about. Um, and that's no knock on Will. He gets picked where he gets picked, and I wish the best for the guy. But it's it's a third-round investment. At this point, what do you see in Will Greer, and does that work moving forward for Carolina?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to – this would have been the perfect preseason for Carolina, uh, mainly for – Determining who would the second and third string quarterback would be. So, yeah, I'm not against another season for Greer. But at the same time, if they moved on, I would have understood too. Coming out of college, I thought he was a decent prospect. I thought that he was selected where he should have been selected. A third, fourth round pick. So, he was picked at, what, number 100? So, yeah. I didn't think the value of where they took him was, you know, poor or anything. I just felt that they had other areas that they needed to address. And I understand the Panthers are going to come back and probably say best player available, all that. But, I mean, when you're at pick 100, it's probably best to look at areas that could really help you, like a safety could help them last year, or another yeah. you know offensive skill player. Anyway, he played in, I mean, he started, what, two games last year? Two, three games?
2: He, uh, he started two, yeah. The, the Indy yeah, game, which was uh, not pretty. That was his debut. And then the New Orleans I think, game, Kyle I mean, yeah. yeah. came in
1: both games were not pretty if we're keeping it real i didn't really think he did much i think he was pretty bad in both of them and certainly didn't show anything that really resembled uh in an nfl starting quarterback so we'll, we'll see what happens i'm i'm a little i was hoping that there would be a preseason to see what type of improvements he could have made but unfortunately there isn't um so we're just gonna have to kind of rely on the coaches here but yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's really tough to gauge this one. He's already an older prospect. Uh, like I said, I thought coming out, fine pick, whatever, but you know I think we saw in the preseason and we saw in the games last year, he's got a long way to go and I'm just not sure with the circumstances involving the current state of the country that he's going to be given that opportunity. So it's unfortunate for him. Uh, maybe you get him on the practice squad and potentially develop him next year, but yeah. I think he, he's, he's probably number three on the depth chart right now. If I were to
2: one, um,
1: you know, grading this.
2: It's a tough break for him. And a lot of guys that are sort of on that bubble, whether it's uh roster bubble or, you know, backup bubble that they, they didn't get a chance to, to, to showcase anything. I mean, the training camp is truncated as you know, and, uh, and gosh, as far as preseason games, those are invaluable for, uh, these younger guys. So yeah, that's a shame. Um, Running back. Okay, so let's talk about this. You know, Christian McCaffrey gets the mega deal. He's obviously going to carry the load. I'm not so interested in that. I'm more interested in your perspective on how Carolina can maximize the value. They've paid him the contract. There's nothing we can do. Right, wrong, disagree. A lot of people have a lot of opinions on it. Um, I'm not totally comfortable with it. I'll be honest. I think it's a risk. But Christian McCaffrey is one hell of a football player. How can Carolina get the most for their buck right now?
1: Yeah, so certainly you want to be utilizing him in the passing game as well as giving him, I guess, the majority of touches because I'm just looking at their depth chart right now, John. I'm pretty kind of disappointed with the depth they have behind them. And yeah. so that that tells me that he's going to be getting the same amount of workload that he's getting, that he received last year. And the workload that he received last year was a lot.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah uh, like to put it lightly, so, insanely a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, maybe the preseason and this type of um limited contact setting helps the running backs, and importantly, McCaffrey, so he's not having all this wear and tear. But I mean, I'm just projecting. I'm I'm sensing that they're going to be using him in a very similar workload and. Hey, the production might not change next year, but I think, you know, going into 2021, 2022, they better really, like, find, you know, a complimentary running back, especially, you know, whether, hopefully not in the first two three rounds of the draft, but maybe, you know, a veteran. I thought, you know, maybe LaShawn McCoy would have been a good uh, option. I know he just signed with the Bucks the other day. Um, right. But I'm just giving you an option. I, I, it doesn't have to be LaShawn McCoy. It could be anyone. But you know what I mean? I'm just saying, like.
2: Totally. Totally. Looking I mean, yeah, yeah, they, 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 they've, they've got to, they've got to beef it up it's, I mean, I like what that, I like what Nor was doing with C.J. Anderson early on. I, mean, that, I thought that made sense, and I, I don't know why exactly they strayed from that. That could have been, you know, any number of reasons that I'm not aware of, but that really yielded results. I thought, and I, I felt that that could have been sort of a hybrid of what they did with Jonathan Stewart, but still giving Christian the majority of the carries. But they decided to go another route and. Um, I don't know if it cost them games, but I don't think it helped their offense. I don't help. I, I have a different dimension in terms of an extra running back that can do things. They've tried this with Reggie Bonifant, and I like Reggie. I think he's got a lot of good skills, uh, but he's also missed some opportunities as well when he's been given a chance. He had a big run against Jacksonville. Uh, it was like you could drive a Mack truck through that hole. But <laughs> um, They've added some guys. Trenton Cannon from the Jets, uh, who is from Virginia State, I believe. They picked him up off waivers. Uh, Jordan Scarlett, we continue to wait to see if he can get enough touches to show if he's good enough or not. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on those guys?
1: Um, Bonifent I'm a little higher on than the other crew. Mike Davis, he's obviously been in the league for a while. I'm just not sure what you're going to get. He has like hot and cold moments. He had a moment um, in Seattle where he had like a f- four or five or – he had a stretch in Seattle where he looked pretty productive. Yeah, but he's 28 now. I'm just not sure he's gonna give you much. Scarlet, I was not a huge fan of him coming out of Florida. I did not like that draft pick, and watching him last preseason, I also didn't really see the burst and the ability to beat a man one on one or break tackles mm-hmm. consistently. You know, he did it in Florida, but projecting it to the NFL is a different ballgame. I just don't think he really has the requisite athleticism to become. You know, a sort of back that you can rely on. Bonifant is a guy, though, that I did say I, I like a little more than maybe you do. And the only reason for that is, again, the athleticism is there and he can offer something in the passing game.
2: Yeah.
1: I think that's pretty important for any running back. So, again, it, it's going to be really difficult to project how this team is going to do. With their rushing offense, because right now it's just Christian McCaffrey. You know, last year and the years past, you had Cam Newton also taking on a huge burden of the rushing game. Right, right. So, I mean, they again, maybe they make a trade, maybe they do something else. But right now, it's essentially just McCaffrey, and and like I said earlier, the best way to utilize him and make him more most effectively is involving involving him in the passing game. But at the same time, he's probably their only like consistent runner. um, or rusher excuse me right now so we'll see
2: right right and that's the the sean payton principle over the years even back to his super bowl year was have two competent running backs one of which you can flex out in the passing game and they i just don't know if they i mean is a good player i'd no no knock on him i just don't know if they have that duo quite yet to pull that off and i'm not sure if that's even the the way they're trying to go with this but we shall see. Uh, I, I do got to dive into this wide receiving core. I'm fascinated, Billy, to get your take on this. Obviously, uh, you've got a log jam there of guys who, <laughs> I mean, you got Pharaoh Cooper, uh, Keith Kirkwood, Seth Roberts, guys they've picked up on, on favorable contracts here to come in and compete. But, you know, the main story is DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, um, and Robbie Anderson. So talk to me about those three guys. Where do you see them fitting into Joe Brady's offense positionally, schematically, and uh, do you have any reservations about any of these guys? Do you think it's going to be a pretty productive group this year?
1: Yeah, certainly. I think there's been a little bit of discussion about the potential of this group and uh, notably from individuals who are covering the team from the outside and other other people on the inside. My opinion is they're an above average to good group. It's certainly – one of the better position groups on the entire roster. So let's just take it one by one, and we'll go with DJ Moore. He's probably going to play, you know, for comparing it to the Saints, he's probably going to play the Michael Thomas role where he's going to be flexed out in the slot, mostly outside, running a lot of intermediate to short routes and really kind of using his body to create separation. And I think you and I maybe agree or disagree on Moore. I've always been the belief that He's a really good contested catch receiver, but he struggles, um, yeah, creating separation. And I think a lot of that has to do with his footwork at the line; it's just not refined. But I will say it did get him, it did improve last year. Um, I thought he used his hands a little better to create separation. So I feel like he's going to be put in the slot a lot more this season, and that's that not only helps the offense but also helps more become productive. Um, and as far as Samuel and Robbie Anderson are concerned, and I, I guess you could say that they are similar in their respect. I mean, both of them are really fast. and They can take a top off a of defense, but I feel like Samuel is a little more well-rounded than Anderson. Anderson is more of a straight-line speed kind of guy. Um, especially you know if you're creating like vertical scheme down the f- or vertical shots on the field, he's the guy you want to really target. He does a really good job as well as creating separation, so I don't want to take that away from him. But um, when it comes to the top of the routes and being able to cut. And make precise hip drops when you're um, you're creating separation on either a post or an in route. Uh, Anderson struggles there, where I feel like Samuel is a lot more efficient in that area. Um, my issue, I think, a lot of the issues that with Samuel uh, comes from his catching technique. Sometimes he can you know drop some easy passes, and excuse me, uh, he's also been prone to. Be a body catcher at times, too. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see which one will be the X, which one will be the Z. Yeah, I imagine probably Anderson will be the X and they'll have Samuel flex out of the Z, even though I feel like maybe Samuel can be the X because he has a much better job of winning at the line scrimmage.
2: Yeah, I agree with that uh, in terms of winning at the line. I think Samuel, that's one of his more underrated traits. And as far as DJ goes, uh, I also agree with that. I think his route running has improved uh, uh, quite a bit in terms of not only his uh, usage of hands, getting free with his hands and using his body, but his footwork's improved, too. And that's something that, that year one was very raw. I mean, this is a guy that was thrown into a blender, basically, and said, here, just go take the ball and get some rack. And he did it nicely. I mean, he's a bowling ball of a player. I love watching him in the open field because he's fearless, but uh, until he rounds it out and completes that package, um, you know, you're you're not really going to get the total fear of a defense, and I think he's getting closer to that point. Uh, Robbie is the nine route guy. I mean, he's he's the guy that's going to take the top right off, I think, and I think that's a good signing because, you know, there's familiarity with uh, Matt Rule, obviously, and it's an opportunity for a guy who came into the league very strong to sort of rebound and and recover and get himself back on track and maybe it becomes a long-term deep route answer for carolina do you think they'll use samuel any more creatively than they have in the past i know scott turner tried a few things norvis tried some things in terms of uh using his ability as a runner would you like to see that
1: um yeah i I don't see why not i know they're it's interesting to see how the divergence in creativity will come from this new coaching staff until the compared to the last one i felt like the creativity with uh the turners was specifically in light of how they got them got the wide receivers the ball like you said reverses screens um a lot of misdirection stuff and whereas i feel like brady could be a lot more creative like before the snap and in formations and also with route concepts so i feel like They each have their ebbs and flows and their pros and cons, I guess. Uh, But I feel like the production upside is a lot higher with this coaching staff than the last one. I don't want to take anything away from them because I've already been on record saying that I was a fan of Norvin and Scott Turner. I think they did a lot of good things for this offense, but uh, I think the passing offense can be better just as a result of, like I said, scheme and um, a lot of the personnel on on the skill side, even though you have a drop-off at quarterback.
2: Yeah, right. No, I get that. And I think a lot of what they did design revolved around Cam. You know, like you said, the misdirection, some of the stuff they ran. Uh, Philadelphia comes to mind. There's a touchdown run Samuel had to get them back in that game at 18. There was complete misdirection. And uh, had Cam not been the quarterback, none of that would have been possible because there's that threat of a run from the quarterback that no longer really exists with Teddy. So, uh, yeah, things will change. It's uh, definitely a a big shift schematically. Uh, As far as the number four receiver, is there anybody that comes to mind? I mean, this is a pretty, uh, you know, this group has traveled a little bit. (laughs) Kirkwood obviously played. Uh, I think Brady was there with Sean Payton when he was there. Um, Farrell Cooper, who I do like on special teams a lot. Seth Roberts, who's been up and down. Is there a particular, you know, one of those guys that you see as a favorite to, to fill that number four spot?
1: Yeah, it seems like it's most likely going to be Seth Roberts. I'm not a huge fan of his. Uh, I watched Baltimore really closely last year. Uh, I didn't see much out of him. I mean, he's a pretty good special teams player, I guess. Uh, But the Panthers handed him a little more money than I would have. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Earl Cooper is intriguing from the simple fact that he's a really good return guy. Um, I know he had a few touchdown returns when he was with the Rams. And the Panthers, from from my knowledge at least, have never really had a specialist returner. So it's good to finally have a guy that can do that. Uh, Maybe you can recall someone back in like the two
2: thousands that I'm missing. Yeah. Because you're the the resident historian. Historian. (laughs) Michael Bates comes to mind. You know, he he was uh, an Olympian. I mean, this guy. Was dynamic back. This, that's 25 years ago now. Back in '96, but the OGs remember Michael Bates. He was the quintessential return specialist. Uh, you you jump into the 2000s, Rod Smart. He hate me. Had a couple of years where he was his name kind of overshadowed his production. I think he had one kickoff return for a touchdown. And then uh, yeah, you look like Mark Jones in 2008 was a very effective guy. When when they've been successful as a team, they've solidified that spot and had continuity there. And I think that's something that's important moving forward. You're right. I mean, they, uh, Demir Byrd had a touchdown back in 2017. He sort of merged into that role and had a nice grip on punt returns, kick returns. But it's been a while. I've heard Matt Rule mention Christian McCaffrey's name on returns, and I would just hate to see that. I think that's a, a really poor way to utilize him. <laughs> <Just> think. <laughs> I don't think it's happening, yeah, because a lot of what Matt says, obviously, is uh, is it's not going to happen. <laughs> he's a coach, and he speaks coach speak. Uh, interesting group there. Tight ends, let's move on to that, man. It's a new group here, a new era. Our good friend Greg Olson, who's a part of the Blue Wire Network now, by the way, doing a podcast, is uh, out in Seattle, and uh, he feels like he's got some tread left on that tire. But let me tell you who we got now. we got, uh, obviously, Ian Thomas, Colin Thompson of XFL fame, Cam Sutton. Giovanni Ricci and Chris Manhurts, along with uh, Tamara Hemingway, who was in camp last year. Uh, Your thoughts on Ian Thomas going into year three now?
1: Well, it has to be a make or break season for him, I guess, right? I mean, Yeah. yeah, he came in really super raw as a prospect. And I want to be crystal clear here. And anyone who followed me during the 2018 draft knows that I was super excited when they drafted him because he was not only a raw prospect, but he was super athletic and presented a ton of upside. So this essentially is his opportunity. He's given the number 1 tight he's I'm I mean we're projecting but from all negations, he's going to be the number 1 tight end. Right. I don't um,
2: think Man you're saying about that. Yeah, I don't think Yeah, manhurts
1: yeah, Man Hurts is a solid blocker. I'm not really thrilled with him um as a pass catcher, but Ian Thomas uh, I would just say that you know he showed a lot in towards uh the end of the year last year and what i mean by showing a lot is not necessarily all in a positive direction uh you know he had he came against atlanta where he made some really ran some really nice routes and make some nice catches then he gets a wide open throw down the deep on on the sideline that's just flat out dropped yeah he has to clean that up a little bit and uh, become more reliable because right now I, i just can't think of a guy who's reliable right now as a pass catching tight end for this team so this is Ian's opportunity and I'm really hoping he can kind of prove that he is a future tight end uh, because if not, this is um, certainly a position in my opinion that will have to be addressed in next off season.
2: No question. No question. I think Ian's the X factor in many ways for this offense. Cause if, if he can evolve a little bit and clean up some of those mistakes, you know, I do like some of the ability in rack open field, his ability to see contact and deliver it. And the, to pick up he's got a nice burst i think off the catch and he gets off the line pretty well and his blocking has improved a little bit it's still his weak spot but he's improving i think if he can improve and, and gel with this offense and give you some better than expected production it could be the difference between one or two wins here you know how this thing goes man it's it comes down to one or two plays here or there and that like the atlanta game where he drops the ball i mean that's you got to make those plays so if he can clean that up and improve yeah that's good um and Manhurts, like I said, uh, I don't want to say he's a one-trick pony. He can make plays in the passing game, but he's not as dynamic. I thought he did a nice job blocking last year. He did some good things in pass protection when they had six-man protections, especially against Tampa with Shaq Barrett. Uh, in that game in London, I was impressed by his tape there. But uh, those are the only two guys I really have much of a take on now. Colin Thompson, I saw a little bit of tape on the XFL stuff. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot to be said about these other guys, but they could always yeah, come Richie... out of the woodwork.
1: Uh Richie and Sutton, uh, they're both undrafted free agents. Both of them are really high upside uh, athletic receivers yeah. um or tight ends. Excuse me. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, again, it's really unfortunate for guys like them that the preseason is not available. Oh, this yeah. year,
2: this year. It sucks big time. And then uh, finally, offensive line. So let's just go, you know, position by position here. Tackle, of course. Um, Greg Little is off the pup list, it looks like. He was put on it, but he fought some injuries last year, Billy. You're talking about concussions and ankle injury, and then uh, this is only year two now, so he's been through the ringer. Uh, Taylor Moten, of course, is the uh, favorite uh, to start the other side. Russell Okung, uh, that's an interesting situation. Uh, First of all, let's get your take on that trade. Okung for Trey Turner. I I know we've talked about it in the past. Uh, Your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, obviously I wasn't a huge fan of the trade itself. Um, I know Turner has had a couple down years, but at the end of the day, um, you don't want to sell low on, you know, a Pro Bowl guard. And again, like I said, I know he's had some struggles the past few years, but still, um, you know, there was an opportunity for the Panthers to really collect draft assets to set their rebuild in the correct direction. And I mean, as far as Okung is concerned, I, I still think he's a. Decent to good right t- or left tackle. I mean, certainly the best one they've had since Gross. But at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of other um, concerns that he brings that I'm just not sure how you can reconcile that with where the team is headed. And by that I mean, I mean, just last year he was he had I mean, he was dealing with a situation with blood clots, and I mean he recovered um, thankfully, and then when he started to play games, he got injured again towards the end of the year. So he played like three or four games last year. Um, you know, he's yeah. on the wrong side at 30. So, you know, father time will eventually catch up and he's only one more year left in those contracts. So they're, they're, they're really, I mean, I, I guess the situation is they want to keep him as a stopgap to potentially like Greg little develop. But I mean, we've discussed that situation and i him, but yeah, I, again, I was not a huge fan of that trade. I thought Turner could have been had for maybe, you know, a third or fourth round draft pick. And, um, I mean, oh, Kung, if he's healthy and if he's on the field, will help you. But I just think from a long-term team-building perspective, they could have gone in a different way there.
2: I hated the trade, Billy. I hated it. I, I And I say that because, like you said, the value was not – I mean, they got got nothing in return for Cam Nunes. Let's just forget that. That's circumstantial. But this is a different situation where I don't know if it was a contract demand that Trey had or, or whatever, but the compensation was too low for a guy that if you put on the tape... And you look at his bona fides. Is a young guy still growing into one of the better guards in the league. And I hate to give that up because it's so valuable. And, uh, you know, some say his play has been down. Yeah, I agree with that. But look at what he's been surrounded with. I mean, he's been dealing with his quarterback injured last year and the better half of the other year before that. There's been movement along the offensive line. Hell, go back to 2016 when he was forced to play tackle uh, against Seattle, against Oakland, because so many damn guys were hurt. I mean, that's part of the gig. But, uh I don't like giving up on, on Trey Turner. I think he's one of the more athletic, dominant guards in the league, especially in the run game. Uh, as far as uh, Okun goes, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a, a pulmonary embolism issue last year. He came back from that. Then he re-injured himself. And, you know, with COVID, you hate to speculate, but, you know, I'm sure he has concerns. And, you know, you never know how long that investment will hold up. Hopefully everything's fine with him. He can stay healthy and play. Well, but... I don't know. He seems to be someone who's potentially anti vax you know, I, I didn't want to bring that up. <laughs> Everybody has a Twitter, and so does he. And uh, he doesn't seem uh, too warm and fuzzy to uh, some of the opinions of the medical community. Let's just say that. I mean, to, be, um, to his
1: credit, to his credit, he did post yesterday a picture of him in a mask. He said, "If they're gonna," he tweeted, "If they're gonna insist I wear a mask, the least I can do is look good in the process." <laughs> so at least he's taking that part seriously, but still, yeah. I think we know well, where he stands. Given between the
2: between that, between that and the Bitcoin tweet storms, I'm just had to, I'm said to mute it for a while. It's like, dude, enough. I get it. It's, we we understand where you're coming from. Uh, yeah, yeah but just, just from a oh, uh... man, <laughs> seen some
1: of his tweets about Bitcoin are funny.
2: <laughs> it's entertainment, man. I'm telling you, I, I I like staying out of that fray and just watching the party unfold in front of me. I I don't know. What he translates to from a football perspective, he's a very good left tackle. You know, Cam didn't have the same left tackle. They basically Cam had a rotating left tackle every year since Jordan Gross left, and now Cam's gone, and they're trying to solidify that spot for Teddy, and that's fine. Um, as far as like Dennis Daly, uh, Greg Little, they've talked about moving Greg Little inside. I think that's a really bad idea. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, he's never played guard in his football career. You know, he played every single game or every single game that he played at Ole Miss, He was a tackle and every game he played for the Panthers, same thing. Yeah, He's a tackle.
2: And a tackle.
1: If, if your issue was finding yeah. an upgrade on him, then that speaks to your talent evaluation, the previous draft, to where you had to spend a top 40 pick on him. Yes. So, <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, year two, this is a year where he should be getting all the reps to find out if he is a future tackle. Um, so now they're ju- they're just delaying that, and who knows how that goes. But
2: and what are your thoughts on Moten out, out at, at presumably right tackle? I mean, I'm i thinking it's Okung left tackle, Moten right tackle, with without any injuries, of course. Uh, your thoughts on Taylor? I mean, he's been you know dealing with some injuries too, but I like him a lot on that right side.
1: Yeah, very reliable. Probably my favorite player on the offensive line, maybe even on the entire offense, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, he has he's very reliable, he has very good technique, not only in pass protection but in run blocking too. He you know understands how to set, throw his hands out, he can defeat counters. He's just the ideal right tackle and Carolina would be best served to re sign him because anytime you have a young ascending tackle, you should probably re sign that guy. So yeah. I don't know where they are with their contract talks, but if they allow him to leave next off season, then I mean that's just inexcusable in my opinion. So you have a very reliable guy. He's high character. There's never been issues with him off the field. Um, this is someone that you want, you know, on your core moving forward. And
2: again, I can't really say enough good things about him. I'm just a really big fan of him overall. Totally agree. Uh, the interior line, that they signed Michael Schofield from uh, San Diego, who actually spent time on Denver squad. It was a Super Bowl team, I believe, uh, along with Matt Paradis and Okung. Uh, I might have that year wrong, but I know they spent time at Denver together. And then they signed John Miller from Cincinnati. I'm presuming those two would be your guards, maybe Dennis Daly. How do you see the interior line, uh, at least the guards, looking right now? I know there's a lot of question marks.
1: Sure. So it seems like they've signed a bunch of these right tackles or excuse me, right guards. Like Miller, he played he's a right guard. Mm-hmm. Schofield, a right guard. So I'm it's not that I'm confused with it. I'm just a little just trying to figure out like how they're all gonna fit um, you know, on the same offensive line. Uh, yeah. so yeah, it's interesting. But Paradis, it seems like he's gonna be given um the leash to be the center for another season. I mean, they gave him right. a big contract a couple of years ago, uh, three-year deal. So this is going to be a second year. Um, so yeah, it's between Miller and Schofield at right guard, I'm not sure who. And then I guess maybe Daly at left guard. I mean, he did okay there. Certainly nothing spectacular right home about. But again, he's a sixth-round pick um, in 2019. So if you get any type of playing time out of him, I think that's probably considered a win.
2: Yeah, definitely. And uh, you're right about Paradis. It's year two and the contract was, you know, it was what it was. It was a good contract from his perspective. And, uh, you know, he struggled at times, but it gets hard with the offensive line to grade these guys. You know, I know PFF does a good job of really trying to break this down and look at players individually, but the offensive line is such a cohesive effort. I mean, if one goes down, fine. If two players go down, it gets really hard. More than two guys go down, you're shuffling pieces. It's hard to have any continuity. Of course, they've got Tyler Larson here backing up Herodis, who's been reliable at times as a backup, and he can also kick out the guards. So uh, we'll have to see how that works down here. Uh, we're going to wrap things up. Billy, uh, just your last thoughts on Joe Brady taking command of this offense here. Um, there's a lot of questions about his experience, but there's an equal number of people that are excited about his uh, his ingenuity and his uh, his background with Sean Payton and with uh, Matt Rule. Talk to me about your initial impressions of uh Joe Brady, as we wrap things up here. Yeah, sure. I
1: mean, obviously, I was a huge fan of what he did last year at LSU. I was excited when they hired him. So, I mean, I can't really complain too much. I I think there's a lot of upside with this offense, like I've said. I mean, the talent is there. Um, Even though I I feel like the quarterback gives you a very uh, determined ceiling, uh, there's still a decent amount of area for growth on on their side of the ball. I mean, you have – Probably the best running back in the game, um, and the fact that he can do a lot of things in the passing area really helps as well. And then offensive line wise, I mean, we can quibble with players here and there, but it is still um, an upgrade over years past. And it's probably overall like below average, league average, uh, but that's considering the state of Carolina's offensive line the past few years. I think that's probably the best they've had. So health wise, let's just hope you know everyone stays healthy. And we really get an opportunity to see these guys in action, you know, if and when the season starts. Um, But like I said, Joe Brady, I mean, he just brings us, he's young. um, He seems like he relates with players well. And, you know, I just, I'm a huge fan of his overall offensive scheme. And I I think that, you know, a lot of the principles that Saints have are stuff that I've been advocating. The Panthers do as well. So I'm glad to finally see that come to fruition.
2: Couldn't agree more. Billy Marshall. Always enjoy it, man. John Ellis here. Blue Wire is the place to go, bluewirepods.com for all the pods on our network here. We are The Roar, a Carolina Panthers podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are available. We're probably going to be there. Until next time on Friday, where we'll preview the defense. So long from Carolina. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place
1: with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at Xfinity.com Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet, excluding Internet essentials, one device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services.